from Manage Inbound Studios. This is Inbound Growth Live. Welcome, everybody, to our third pilot episode of Inbound Growth Live. Um, I'm Keith Gutierrez, founder and CEO of Manage Inbound. Along with us today is Jenny Dwyer, uh, your co-host, um, and she's the CMO here at Manage Inbound. First topic I wanted to kind of dive into is, is around the idea of technology in general, right? So uh, according to Chief Martech, the Martech or the marketing technology landscape uh, is expanding and continues to expand rapidly. Uh, since 2011, the landscape itself has, has grown by like something like 5,233%. Uh, so there are now over 8,000 technology companies that are in uh, the MarTech landscape, and it continues to, to, to drive forward. Um, the, the actual stats from this actually came before the pandemic. So if you think about it, uh, you know, marketing technology is, is ramping up rapidly. And one of the things that I've kind of noticed with this, right, is, and, and myself included, right, is that it's oftentimes it's easy for us to look to technology as the solution to our problems. So, you know, there's so much technology out there. We like to just turn to the technology first, like what kind of technologies out here that can help me solve these problems. And uh, a lot of our strategic conversations start with technology. And instead of really focusing on the, the real strategy, we end up looking at technology to build our strategies around. And the reality is, is just because we have the technology, that doesn't mean that we should really use it, right? I mean, tech, tech companies are out here sharing new strategic approaches with us, and they're, they're great. I mean, they're, they're amazing uh, approaches and and we utilize those. We love them, right? It's easy for us to take those uh, those methodologies, plug them into our own business because that makes their technology platform sticky, right? Because everything that they're sharing with us, something that their technology really supports, um, and they don't really focus that much on strategies that their technology doesn't support. And that's kind of where and it kind of lies the problem, right? A lot of the strategic fundamentals get missed when we start to look at technology as the solution to our problems. And we don't focus on the, the key uh, factors like who is our buyer, right? Doing the, the, the research at the beginning to understand you know, how buyers prefer to make their purchasing decisions, actually reaching out to those customers and having conversations with them. And I'm not talking about having your sales team have conversations with them, but actually having you know, somebody that's not involved in the sales process, reaching out and doing, you know, win loss interviews with, uh, with your customers to get those buyer insights that really help us better understand how they prefer to make their purchasing decisions. Um, additionally, we need to understand what is the information that they want to consume, right? What information are they really looking for and what information do they really want to consume? Because if we understand that, then it enables us to figure out ways to develop content uh, that's going to matter to them. And, and last of all, we need to understand where our buyers prefer to hang out, where are they hang out, right? Where, where do we need to get the content that they want to consume? Not waiting for them necessarily to come to us or come to our website, but actually getting that content out to them 
uh, where they prefer to consume it. So put your customers at the forefront, right? That's the, the key here. Um, make sure you start with buyer research and the fundamentals of marketing, right? Then develop your strategy and then layer the technology on top of it. Um, I think that's just so important uh, today because there's so much great technology out there and it's so easy to get, uh, you know, the, the shiny red ball syndrome where you just chase after the latest and greatest thing that's out there next and kind of lose focus on the overall strategy. So uh, with that being said, Jenny, that was kind of my first point. I'll take any questions that we may have um, related to technology. Sure. Um, well, I just wanted to make one comment because I, I really, I truly believe how much that it all, it, it has to shift to the way the consumers are buying, that there's their, their buying habits, you know, don't necessarily work with your technology. You know, some technology is able to support it and, and some is not able to support it. So it's just a great way. You brought out great points here, Keith. I do have a question that was um, from Jeff. He actually asked, well, what technology is essential for inbound marketing? Because we know we need to use some, but what do you suggest? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think at a bare minimum, it is a good idea to have some form of a customer relationship management software. Uh, so a CRM system is really kind of bare bones necessity in 2022 uh, to execute uh, strategic marketing plans. I would, you know, I would point to HubSpot. That's the tool that we are familiar with. Um, it's great because they have a free CRM. So if you're uh, just getting started, HubSpot's a great opportunity for you to, uh, to, to, you know, utilize their free CRM technology and then kind of grow with uh, the product as your, as your business grows. Um, and then, you know, along with that, um, depending on what your strategies really are, uh, you may need to layer on a few other things as well. But I think you can do a lot with a lot of the, the free tools that are available to us today, just getting started as long as you have a, a, a CRM system to start. I mean, you can leverage social media today. Um, you, you almost really don't even need a website, which is crazy to think um, because there's so many places that you can actually publish content today. Um, and so just CRM, I think, is the most important thing, something that's going to be able to help you keep track of uh, you know, your outreach and, uh, customer feedback as well. So that's what I would recommend. Awesome. Um, let me just see if I have any questions here. Andrew, did you want, or are you making a comment? Do you want to come out? Hang on. Going to get in there. Okay, now I'm unmuted. Uh, thanks a lot, Jenny. Um, Keith, yeah, it's an interesting position to take there, stripping down the tech services. And, and I heard you uh, mention a little bit about, um, you know, when you're doing that buyer research, finding where your uh, customer base hangs out or your prospects hang out. As we strip away the technology services, um, what recommendations do you have to cultivate or extract the data from your communities um, and, and really get an understanding of how your buyers are interacting with your uh, business? 
Yeah, that's a that's a really good question as well. Again, it, you know, if you're if you're just getting started starting out, you're going to have to you know reach out to your buyers and uh, and and do some fundamental research uh, just in, in general. But um, if you've had some people that have considered purchasing your product or service, then you can leverage the you know those win loss interviews to collect uh, real key buyer insights into how they prefer to make their purchasing decisions. Um, outside of that. Uh, you know, another great way to do this is to, you know, is to try to um, integrate yourself with their communities, the communities that they're involved in, or build a community for uh, your targeted audience. And not necessarily even from a perspective of trying to sell them anything, but, but uh, you know, helping them along the way, helping them overcome their challenges, helping them learn new things, right? And you're going to um, get some really valuable feedback from your communities as well as you, as you build those. And um, you can do that, you know, on LinkedIn and, and you could do that on, on Facebook and you could do it in groups, right. On Slack. Um, there's so many places that you could leverage communities. And it's so easy to get um, information these days that, uh, you know, it just really involves being active and participating in those communities, being helpful first uh, rather than trying to, to sell somebody, uh, really think about it from, uh, how can you provide value to the, to your targeted audience to start with? Yeah, that's a a great point there. I guess, um, kind of tailoring a little more to where I was going with the question. Um, you know, when it comes to understanding your buyer's journey through your community interactions and stuff, uh, I, I know that we've got a CRM here, but um, in what ways can we, you know, track and measure um, the results of our activities with the communities we're building, the, the engagements we're seeing across social and other platforms, um, and, and how that relates with, again, stripping away a lot of the tech services in the stack? Yeah. So you're bringing up a good point. We're actually going to dive into this a little bit more here um, uh, coming up. But I think the, the, the key thing here, right, is that you can um, you can look at how people are interacting with the content that you're creating. Uh, one thing I would just keep in mind with this, right, though, is, is it's more important to add value to the community um, either way, even if you're not seeing a ton of engagement to start with or uh, a ton of you know, likes or whatever on posts that you're publishing. It's okay. The idea is, is that the, the, just continue to publish that content because people are going to consume that content, right? I mean, there's, there's so many people on LinkedIn that are, you know, lurkers per se, that just really consume content rather than actually create content themselves or, um, you know, uh, or even participate in conversations from that perspective. So it's creating the content that's most important, but you really want to focus on content consumption and, and, looking at ways that you can measure consumption uh, to make sure that the content that you're creating is actually being consumed. And those are the metrics you can look at in tools like LinkedIn. You can see how much of a video got watched, or uh, you can uh, you can also look at some other technology that's out there like uh, Lucky Orange or Hotjar, um, where you can, you know, you can look at scroll, uh, scrolls on a web page to see how much of a web page gets read on average. You can look at time on page. So there's a lot of metrics that you could lean to as far as, uh, lean into as far as content consumption goes. Uh, and then additionally, 
You can also uh, do what we call self-reported attribution, which we're going to get into here in just, uh, in just a moment. But um, that really helps us to identify where people are finding out about us uh, in the first place. So hopefully that answered your question a little bit clearer there, Andrew. Yeah, that was a great, Keith. Thanks a lot. Perfect. Jenny, did we have any other questions here? Uh, no, I think we can go on to our next topic. And then if, if any pop up, I'll let you know at the end of the show. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it's great. So okay. one of these things I think that um, kind of diving into the next topic and Andrew's question kind of alluded to this as well, right? Is that we're traditionally with, with uh, inbound marketing when we started, well, it's been uh, over a decade now when I started doing inbound marketing uh, and, and uh, you know, the inbound marketing methodology was introduced to all of us, right? It was really around the idea of us getting found on search and social and uh, being able to convert traffic into a lead. And so we had, we got this idea around lead generation and we, as marketers, you know, we really honed in and focused on lead generation. And part of what we, what we would do is actually gate, you know, content in order to generate leads, right? We'd create um, ebooks or white papers or checklists or calculators, all kinds of cool things we would go out there and create. Uh, and then we would gate those with a form, ask people to fill that out. And that was, you know, that was our, our lead converted. But the challenge with that is, is that most of those people that were filling out those, what, what I would consider lower buyer intent uh, type conversions, right? Fill, fill out those forms. They're not really looking to buy anything. They're more interested in the educational content that we're providing than actually, you know, buying our products or services. So what ended up happening was, you know, marketing technology came along and said, okay, well, how do we solve this problem? Because what ends, what ended up happening is we have all of these unqualified leads that are stuck in our CRM system and are marketing team doesn't know what people to nurture and how to nurture them and sales doesn't know who to follow up with. So they derived this concept around lead scoring, right? And so the concept was, you know, that about what well, HubSpot says somewhere around 10% of the people that were filling out those, those educational content forms were actually interested in buying your product or service. And that's probably going to vary. That's probably on average and varies by industry. I think in most cases, that number is very generous from what, from the results that I I've, I've seen from it, right. It's generally much lower than 10%. Um, and therein lies the difficulty, right. And so they would, you know, really look at, you know, how do we, how do we uh, focus on the leads that are more qualified than others? Because we have a whole bunch of unqualified leads in our CRM systems. And um, so it was a real problem. In order to fix the problem, they introduced lead scoring. And so they would try to assign, you know, a value to, you know, to each prospect to kind of um, prioritize sales outreach for sales to follow up with them. And first off, you know, if somebody filled out a, an educational ebook or a form, they're not, ex and they didn't give you their phone number. They're not expecting a call from sales anyhow. So it's kind of a, an all around kind of spammy approach. Um, but the idea was, you know, Hey, we want to look at, 
you know, our lead to customer conversion rates in general and use that as our kind of overarching benchmark. And then we are going to look at attributes that kind of made them more qualified than others, right? Like uh, their location, the size of business they are, the different behaviors that they were doing on our website. So these are all things that they would look at finally comparing those closed rates with the, with the customers and each attribute and then assigning a value to that so they could uh, score those leads properly. So it's a very complicated process, um, but the good news for marketing tools was is that they could handle it, right? So that made their product their products extra sticky, right? When you need to do lead scoring, you need a good technology platform. Uh, so you know that was the reason for for lead scoring and why it was promoted or is continued to be promoted by tech companies so heavily. Um, you know because they can they can sell more of their product. So. Again, just because somebody downloaded an educational guide doesn't mean they want to buy anything from you, uh, from your business. The average B2B buyer uh, is 67% of the way through the buying process before they're ever going to reach out to your sales team. That's just, that's just on average. And that actually is a study that's, uh, gosh, probably, you know, maybe three years old at this point. Um, so the reality is, is that we, we need to move away from the concept of gating content to generate leads and focus more on ungating that content and allowing customers to, or our customers to consume it, right? So focus on, on content consumption over lead generation and, and, you know, getting that content consumed by our targeted audiences, by our buyers, right? And then continuing to nurture them with content and we want to measure how much of that content that they are actually consuming. So content consumption is uh, essential, you know, for growth. Nurture that content where your buyers are. That's in, you know, social media, in communities. Um, those are probably the most obvious places, but continue to build relationships wherever your customers hang out. Make the content available to them. Don't you know, hide the content with a form causing friction, making it difficult for them to get access to it. And the additional thing is don't wait for your buyers to come to your website. I mean, buyers just don't need to go to websites the way they did even just a few years ago to get the content that they need to make purchasing decisions. So don't wait for them to get come to your website, be more proactive and get the content out to them where they're hanging out. Focus on creating the demand, right? Over convincing buyers to buy. That's really what this is all about. Going out, being proactive, creating the demand. Um, this allows your salespeople to follow up with real buying requests, right? High buying intent requests. People that are filling out your demo request forms. People that are filling out your consultation request forms or your product information request forms or trying to schedule meetings directly with your sales team. This makes your, your, your salespeople harvesters first rather than hunters, right? When, you're, when you've got a good marketing and you're creating content that your, your target audience can consume, they will nurture themselves with that content, right? And that's the opportunity here. It, it allows you to change the way you go to market and allows you to really grow your business. It's going to help you lower your customer acquisition costs. It's going to help you reduce churn and whether it be customer churn or revenue churn, it's going to reduce both of those metrics. 
and it's going to increase the customer lifetime value. Why? Well, because people are not being convinced that they need to be to buy your product or service at this point, right? They're making that decision themselves. It's their idea to, to work with you because they consume the content and, and that's where they got the idea to start with. So all around, it makes for a better customer experience, a better sales experience, and marketing is actually working the way that it, that it really should. So um, that's why I think it's important for us to you know, really stop wasting time with lead store scoring and focus on buying intent instead. All right, Jenny, with that, I'll, I'll take a few questions. First, I have to say, I agree, 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 because we have to move from the conversion only model to that consumption model. I was a big one that was always after we got to get the, the email, you know, cause we want to follow up with them, but no, that's too much friction. So we want to have less friction, create the demand and no more sales hunters. <laughs> I, I love that. Um, they're going to nurture themselves. They're going to find the information where and when they want it based on where they're hanging out and we're just going to be there and we're just going to offer it, which, yeah, which and I, is, and I'm, not say, and I'm not saying that sales shouldn't be reaching out or that ABM is necessarily bad. That's a sales activity. And I do think that, you know, that that's something that sales will continue to do, but you know, why make sales work harder than they need to? If you have great marketing that can really support the, the sales process in general, and they don't have to work as hard being hunters, right? They can be harvesters instead. That's really the key point there. Yeah. And, and this brings me to a really great question that Beverly had asked because she was concerned about ungating content. And I, and I wholeheartedly understand that, you know, what's going to happen. So let me just pose her question for you. We are a small boutique business in the wellness industry. We just started to ungate our content. How do you suggest we analyze the results? That's a big one. Yeah. Well, I, you know what, I think this is the challenge for a lot of people because they're focused on generating leads. And when that's your core metric, right? When lead generation is your core metric, it's hard to, to move away from that because as soon as you ungate that content, you're not going to see those leads showing up the way that you did before, right? It's uh, you almost feel like you lost a little bit of control, but in reality, you're gaining a lot of control uh, because you're allowing people, more people, more of your targeted buyers to actually consume the content. Just think about all the people that actually would consume the content, but they decide not to because you put a friction in front of them. You're putting that form in front of them. And if the content's really what it's what it that they or what they need to consume in order to help them make a purchasing decision, there's certainly no reason to put that friction in front of them. So you're going to have to go back and, and adjust the mindset of the organization from, from the standpoint of what the end goal is and change the metrics that you're focusing on as well, right? You're going to have to move towards focusing on how to create content that people are going to consume, focusing on consumption metrics over you know, lead generation metrics. So that's going to be the, the big challenge, I think, for, for anybody that's in that situation, um, especially if you're a small business and you're just getting started and um, you're, you, you know, your whole system is kind of built around lead gen. Um, it's something that you're going to want to slowly move into, but I think ultimately it's going to really help you become a better marketer and grow your business at the end of the day. 
That is awesome. Oh, hang on a second. Gotta check my chat for you. <laughs> Let me see. So I don't like mute the wrong Katerra. Oh, that's here. all right. Uh, thanks again, Jenny um, and Keith. Uh, I tried to type this into the chat and get it over before the topic was over. But, um, you know, you mentioned you don't wait for your uh, website or for buyers to search and find your website. And, you know, kind of thinking back and connecting that to the 95-5 rule uh, that you covered on a previous episode where 95% of your customer base are not in market at any given time. Um, and then pairing that with your emphasis on content consumption over lead generation. Um, so when I think of lead acquisition or something like that, that's collecting a lead on the first touch. Um, when we're emphasizing content consumption, how many touch points do you think buyers need to create that demand that you speak of and, and become hand raisers? Man, you, you are grabbing all of the good ones today with these questions, Andrew. So we're going to be talking more about that in just a second as well. But uh, so, so traditional, traditional, uh, marketing kind of always had the rule of seven. So if you're familiar with uh, kind of traditional marketing approaches, it was always seven touch points. And in, I think there's a recent study that just came out that in today's digital age, right. That number has actually increased to 27 touch points. So it, it's gone from seven touch points for a buyer to make a purchasing decision to 27 touch points for a buyer to make a purchasing decision. So yeah, I mean, it, it is essential that you're getting content to your buyers before they're even thinking about buying your product or service, right? Before they're even in market to buy product or service, uh, critical to get that content out to them and create that demand, right? Generate demand, through the content itself. So um, very important, as you mentioned, right? 95% of your targeted audience, they, they are out of market to buy at any given point in time, leaving only 5% of that market that's actually in market to buy your product or service at any point in time. But the problem is, is that if you're not already, you know, in the minds of your buyers, when they come in market, then they're going to go to the competitor that they think of first, right? It's, it, we call that mental availability. So if you don't have mental availability with your buyers, when they come into market, they're going to go to the, to the, uh, you know, the, the brand that they have mental availability with first. And the other problem is, is that most consumers, they don't evaluate that much, right? I think it's, I think the most recent study I saw on this was they evaluate two brands typically on average when making a purchasing decision. So if you're not already in there, if you don't already have that mental availability in their minds, it's going to be very difficult to, uh, to actually have an opportunity to win that business. So I'll leave it with that, but yeah, it's uh, you're hitting on all the key topics there for sure. Andrew. Good point. <laughs> yeah, uh, More to come on the next topic too. Yeah. Well, thanks for uh, clearing that up. Sorry for uh, jumping ahead in the chapters here. I no, suppose. it's all good. It's idea. all good. But, um, yeah, it, it's interesting. You had mentioned that um, buyers kind of uh, only have two evaluation processes because uh, I just listened in uh, on a, uh, a live stream with David Gerhart, and he had mentioned something along the lines of buyers go with uh, what they've used in the past, basically what they know or the cheaper solution. So, so that really falls in line with what you just shared there. So 
Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point too, right? If they don't know of, if they don't know of a, a brand then, and they, they're already familiar with something, right? They're probably going to choose the cheapest solution that's out there in most cases. So that's, that's an interesting point as well. Uh, that might be another good one for another, another topic one of these days. Yeah. I want to add that it's probably, if you're the one making the choice and you're not the CEO or CFO, you're, you know, you're almost afraid to make the wrong decision or switch off something that's super familiar. So. um, Yeah. And if you don't have the, if you don't have the content to support that, right. For people to actually share with their, with their executive leadership teams, it makes it very difficult for them to go and be a champion for your brand. Right. So the content is essential in that way as well. Um, yeah. So I kind of have a, a little question to here. I'm thinking now, like, cause further down in the funnel, as we go further down in the funnel, buyers with a clear intent to buy are searching for specific, like, you know, their product their service or company. So how do we alter our content? Cause I'm a writer at heart to serve them better, you know, keeping it in their voice and not in the company's voice. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you really want to position in all of this writing, you want to position them as, you know, the hero in the story. And I think a lot of that comes back with storyboarding out what that message is going to be. Um, if you're familiar with the story brand framework, we love that framework uh, just because it, it helps us to keep the, you know, really keep the buyer uh, positioned as the hero in, in the story rather than ourselves. Um, and it allows us to really kind of paint a clear brand script around what that story looks like for them. So usually there's an overarching story, but you can use the same framework, even as you get into very specific, you know, product scenarios or even emails, or, uh, even when you're creating content, maybe even like in blog posts and stuff like that, where, um, you can utilize this framework from a story perspective, right? Because the story and the narrative is, is is essential to, you know, positioning your products properly in ways that going to resonate with your, your customers. So I would, I would look to leverage, um, you know, a, a story framework. If you, if you're not familiar with story brand, uh, it's a, a framework that's, that was created by uh, Donald Miller. Um, he has a great, uh, book that's out. It's called, uh, you know, uh, building a story brand, or, um, I think the other one's marketing made simple. I may have maybe off a little bit on those, but uh, again, the idea is to clarify your message. Uh, so it's easy for your consumers to understand, and it really helps you to position your, your, your business in a way that uh, makes the, the buyer, the hero in the story and puts them at the forefront rather than yourself. So many, so many brands out there like to position themselves as the hero in the story. They like to talk about themselves. And the reality is, is that people don't necessarily care, right? They want to understand how it benefits them and they, they want to hear a story that resonates to their experience instead. Totally agree. And I might say too, that, you know, if you're going to talk about yourself, talk about your pricing, people yeah. land on that website. They the stuff they want to know, your, the stuff they want to know. They get frustrated if you're searching, have you ever been on a website? And you're like, you just want to find out, you know, even if it's a range where you're at, or a comparison. What do you have that, you know, I'm because they're going to find it someplace else anyway, you know, they're going to go search it. So you might as well be the one that they all of a sudden go, oh, it's here. They start to uh, trust you a little bit more. That's another topic. And you know that <laughs> we're all over that, but we'll, Absolutely. Uh, 
<laughs> we can move on to one of my favorites tonight uh, is the attribution reports that Andrew was so excited about. Yeah. Sure. Stole the thunder on here for sure. Um, yeah. So yeah, let's, let's dive into, you know, attribution reports and why most of them just aren't very accurate. And I think this is one of the other challenges that we have, right? So often, again, going back to our technology, you know, scenario that we talked about, uh, the first part of the segment here, um, you know, marketing technology can only measure what it's able to measure. Right. And it can only attribute, you know, really around people that convert on the website itself. So it can only really start to measure attribution at that point. And most often that's not going to be the first touch point that somebody has with your brand. Um, you know, Attribution software can measure traffic sources really well, like it came from direct traffic or organic traffic or paid uh, search or referrals or social media, um, paid social, all of those things, right? And it's, it's great at doing those things. But um, the problem is, is that most buying B2B, especially in B2B, most B2B buying processes are not linear, right? Most people don't convert on the very first impression they have with your brand. So that means by the time they're actually getting to your website and filling out a form, they've already had multiple touch points with your brand. Uh, so even though it'll look like first touch attribution maybe came through uh, direct traffic or organic search, the reality is, is that it most likely actually started someplace else. Um, again, like I, I mentioned before, the traditional marketing rule of seven used to be right. That, that, uh, buyers had to have seven touch points with the brand before they actually, you know, decided to, to make a purchasing decision. Um, that number has accelerated dramatically today in the digital world, right? Where now buyers have an average of 27 touch points with your brand before they actually reach out, uh, regarding a purchasing decision. So that's a lot of extra work for marketers. Number one, right, is we have to figure out ways to make it easy for people to have 27 touch points on average uh, with our brand before they're going to make uh, a reach out for it with, with a, you know, a purchasing request. Um, and the crazy thing is I, I'm pretty sure that number was a stat that came before the pandemic. So it's probably much higher today since most of us have moved to, you know, a digital only environment for the most part. Now I know we're kind of getting back to uh, a little bit of normalcy in life, but um, it's still very interesting. That number could be much higher than it was before. The reality is, is prospects need to hear and see our marketing messages several times before they're going to buy from us. So message repetition is key, right? Um, it's not hard to understand, right? Like buyers are not going to trust you the first time they come and read a blog post or see you on social media, right? It takes multiple touch points with your brand for them to build the trust that they're going to need to make that purchasing decision. So that content and the content consumption is critical to help them uh, through that buying process, right? Um, they're, they're learning about you in social media, in 
Slack groups in um, uh, maybe through word of mouth, through websites that they're visiting, right? Um, but their, their attribution inside of your marketing technology is report is most likely going to be inaccurate or wrong. So one way to fix this or simple fix, uh, which I actually picked this up from uh, Chris Walker at Refine Labs. If you, if you don't know Chris Walker, I highly recommend checking him out on LinkedIn and following his podcast as well. But he, he recommends putting a form field on your buyer intent forms that simply says, how did you hear about us? So this isn't rocket science. You just put a, a form field on there that's asking them, how did you hear about us? Now, the key here is you want to make sure that that is a multi-line open text field box that is required. Uh, we don't want to use drop downs or anything like that. That'll You'll get skewed results with that because people will just select whatever's first. They won't uh, spend the time to actually give a thoughtful answer. Um, leaving it open, uh, multi-line open field text box allows them to actually take a minute, think about how they heard about you and actually you know, put in how they heard about you, or at least what they recall uh, was how they heard about you to start with. So um, it may not be exact, but the key thing is, is it's exactly what they, what made an impact with them. It's what they remembered as their first touch point. So we call this self-reported attribution. Um, and basically once you, what you want to do is after you've collected that data from your uh, from your question on your buyer intent forms, you can then pull those into a spreadsheet. Um, and then you'll have to kind of manually comb through those a little bit to, to identify different patterns, group them, and then you can build a self-reported, uh, or self-reported attribution, um, you know, chart inside of your marketing technology tool. And I recommend doing that and comparing that with, the attribution report that you're getting inside of the marketing technology tool that you're using as well, right? This will give you better insights into what the buyers are saying or how the buyers are saying they first heard about you. But you can also look at the technology and see, you know, when they did fill out the form, what were all the different touch points that happened after that uh, leading up to the sale? And that, that's going to help you uh, kind of optimize that process in general. Um, so I have, I did have a quick, um, uh, example to share for those of you that are joining us live on the show here. So, uh, I'm going to share my, uh, just a quick screenshot here. So this is an example of what the self-reported attribution looks like compared to, um, compared to the, the attribution that's coming out of our marketing technology tool, which is HubSpot. So on the left-hand side, um, we're seeing the exact same uh, buyers in, in this particular report, but we're seeing how the attribution varies kind of, quite a bit differently. Um, so we can see that, you know, HubSpot says that the majority of the contacts are coming through organic search, which means that, you know, our decisions based on this would be that we need to invest more in SEO. And if we go back and actually look at the same report, while there is still a significant amount of people that are coming from saying they're coming from search engines, we're also missing a lot that are coming from other websites that are out there. And most importantly, we're seeing a, a rather large uh, portion here around word of mouth uh, and previous customers. So those are things that we can't capture in the uh, in the 
MarTech solution that we can capture with uh, with the self-reported attribution, which I think is much more valuable and is going to actually um, help guide your uh, your strategic decisions much better with with this data, right? Because you're going to really understand how people are finding out about you, or at least what how what they remember. So what made an impact with them uh, when they first found out about you? So with that, Jenny, I'll take a few questions. Um, stop sharing here. Uh, I do, I do. I'm just, again, that, that 27 touch points, that just blows my mind when, you know, that rule of you just seven and now it's up to 27 and Lord knows where it's going from here. But, you know, from that first to last touch, there's just such a messy middle in the, the whole thing. And I'm not even making that term up. Google it. There is such a thing. It's called messy middle. And this is what we're trying to figure out where, where it's traveling. But uh, um, what was it? Yes, yes, yes. Jessica. She had something to say. Um, her question was, offline sales efforts cannot be accounted for in marketing attribution, which makes ROI prediction uncertain. What are ways to get around this? You know, are there platforms you can recommend? Mm, yeah, so this, this is a is tough a one. So the here's the thing, right? Like your your sales team when it's offline, your sales team is going to be the one that's going to be fielding those requests most likely. And so I think it's important. You can do the same thing here. It's important to have your sales team ask the question. No, hey, by the way, how did you hear about us? and capture that data. Again, this is the reason why you want to have a CRM system, but capture that data in your CRM system. Make sure first that it's, it's set up so you have a place to, to put it in the CRM, but capture that data there. And you can run the same report uh, from you know, people that are coming in directly you know, through sales offline or, or whatever that may be. And you can run that same report. You can even compare the reports there, which might be pretty interesting as well. The other thing that I didn't really touch on too much is you could take this, uh, this self-reported attribution uh, to another level as well, where you can start to look further in the, the sales pipeline itself into the buying process. And you can start to look and see like, hey, what was the, what was the uh, or, or where are people finding out about us that actually become qualified opportunities or qualified sales opportunities in our pipeline? And then even going further, we could look at it and say, you know, the, a lot of those people that actually became customers, what was the, you know, how did people find out about us initially for those that become customers? What's the, the main source that's driving customers for us? So I think those are all things that you want to continue to evaluate, you know, through the, through the sales process. So you can get kind of a full view of, of not only where people find out about you in general from a attribution standpoint, but but which channels actually drive the most value? Um, just because maybe you, more people find out about you, say on a platform like LinkedIn, doesn't mean that it's actually the one that's going to drive the majority of your business. Maybe coming other places, word of mouth or a podcast or YouTube, right? There's lots of other ways. It could be a, an email subscriber for that matter. So there's lots of other ways that uh, people could become customers as well. So I think those are all important things to measure both online and offline. So you're getting a full view of how people are finding out about you and which channels are producing the most value for your business. So many measurements, so much to analyze. This is great. I'm going to let uh, Andrew come out with a question before I ask another one as well. Andrew, it's all you. 
All right, great. Um, I got a little visitor here. Um, so you had mentioned um, the 27 touch points consumers um, have before engaging with an organization and how that impacted the amount of content that par- marketers are now being asked to create. And I was just curious, do you have any suggestions as to how marketers can scale their content development and put their brand in front of their buyers? Build systems, build systems for sure. So uh, you want to build systems that make it easy for you to create content and uh, use that content in different, you know, different platforms, but make sure that you're tailoring the content for those platforms. Uh, So you know, a great, great example of that could be to, you know, create a live event. Um, it could be to, you know, on a, on a zoom setting like this is an example of one way that we're doing it right. Where, um, you know, we can take the audio from this and use it as a podcast. We can use the video on LinkedIn. Uh, we could use the video, uh, repurposed in different ways on YouTube. So there's lots of ways that you can, you know, develop smart systems to create, to create content. Um, I also think you can utilize your blog post publishing in multiple ways as well, right? You can, uh, you know, obviously use it as a blog, but you can use those, uh, different, uh, components of the post itself in your email marketing efforts. You can use those on LinkedIn. Um, you could use them on Facebook. There's lots of, lots of different ways to stretch the content. The one thing that I would note though, is that you know, video and audio content have really taken um, kind of, I, I think, the center stage at this point, uh, because people not only get to experience the message that you're delivering, but they also get to experience your personality. Um, they get to experience more of a relationship with you uh, developed through these video interactions. It feels like you know somebody uh, when they see you on video and they actually hear your voice. So um, there's a lot of power in video and, and audio format content as well. I'm not saying not to, uh, to create written text for, for content because that's still important also. And, and people want to consume that as, as well. Um, we just want to be everywhere where our buyers hang out. That's the most important thing to, to determine is where do they actually go to consume content and make sure that we're in those areas with the content that they want to consume uh, and making it as easy as possible for them to consume it. So hopefully that, that uh, answers your question there, Andrew, but I think systems are the answer to your question. Yeah, I think that was a great response. Really helps get an idea of the perspective of um, scaling the content um, the impact it has on building a community and an audience and developing that humanized connection. Um, so I think that was a great response. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Jenny. And you know what the, the yeah, blog so- posts themselves, which, which we do a lot, um, you know, take those blog posts, make them that PDF, share them on LinkedIn, make it a, even a little flip book or a tiny, you know, something a little bit more creative with some images, I would say that, you know, we're concentrating a little bit on LinkedIn. It's just, that's where our community that we're finding and and LinkedIn's becoming like a full-fledged library. If you want to know something, go to LinkedIn, but there's Twitter, there's video, there's podcasts, there's YouTube. Oh, don't forget about TikTok too, right? I mean, like I'm seeing so many people that are, that are leveraging TikTok and this is really interesting, right? B2B is going on TikTok 
Um, and it's, we'll it's pretty there. interesting. Not, it's yeah. probably in our future. Just give us a chance, right? In, the, in these live events, that all this stuff can be sliced and diced and used in every single other medium, you know? So it, it, it is really great. But I just say, you know, we're all going to get good at one thing and then get that up and running and then scale and go over to the other. Because you could be overwhelmed and just try to, oh, do one YouTube here or do a Twitter here or do this there, you know, just concentrate on one. There was one last question from Mark, which he was really interested in um, the attribution models. So which of the various attribution models do you suggest for a smaller SaaS company to get started? Good question. Self-reported attribution, I think is the one that I would recommend the most. Right. But outside of that, um, yeah, I mean, you can look at any of them, any of those models, I think would be, uh, would be beneficial to analyze comparing to your self-reported attribution as well. Whether, you know, first touch, um, you know, ever that's, that's a good one for marketers. Cause usually they're touching something on the website, uh, last touch, you know, maybe that's better for sales. Um, you know, there's what W and U shape. There's so many different attribution models that are out there, but I really think the most valuable insights that you're going to get here are going to come from that self-reported attribution, at least from a marketing perspective. But I also think, think from a sales perspective as well, right? Because if you're creating demand, and people are coming to your website and raising their hand saying, I want to buy your product or service. I want the demo of your software, right? Or I want the free trial, or I want to talk to sales or heck, even for that matter in 2022, they just go and book a meeting with your sales team directly. Um, this makes it easy, much easier for sales, right? The marketing did all the selling for them. Uh, they just have to help them, you know, over the, the bridge there to, you know, kick things off. It's like, they just go right into onboarding mode almost automatically when they're, you know, when they're created through marketing, but when they're not created through marketing, then it makes it much more difficult on sales because now sales has to go out and actually try to create interest in the buyer and has to try to sell them to a degree, uh, which makes it much more challenging, much more difficult. There are some very skilled salespeople out there, though, that do a great job with it. So um, whatever works for you, I wouldn't say you shouldn't be doing sales either. But I think if you can you know, leverage marketing to create demand, it's a much better experience, not only for the buyers, but for your employees, for your salespeople. Everybody benefits from it greatly. And like I said, it's going to lower customer acquisition costs. It's going to increase your customer lifetime value. It's going to reduce churn uh, in all facets, right? Um, so I think there's just so many benefits to doing great marketing. So if you're out there, this is, stuff is not easy. Build systems, figure out ways to make it as easy as possible to create content where your buyers are. Don't focus on all the channels. Figure out where your buyers are first and create content and, and make it content that they want to consume and put that content where they are. Um, get rid of the forums, reduce the friction. This is all about consumption over generating leads. How do we get the right content to the right people, making it easy for them to, uh, to consume it so they can see the value in it and, and move on. So um, I guess that would kind of be my kind of closing thought around how all of this should work together. Um, I think all of these, you know, are, are key points that um, really can help accelerate in your your overall business growth. So, Jenny, I don't know if there was any other uh, last minute questions there. 
if not, um, I can kind of give a little sneak peek into what we're going to talk about next week. I think but, we're ready for this sneak peek. I might just say, you know, approaching all these problems in new, in new innovative ways. That's what we have to do. We, we have to go where the buyers are. We can't keep our head in the sand and say, nope, I'm going to still do it the same way I've done it for the last 10 or 15 years. So um, yeah. And you know right what, if, all that. that's a good point. You know, you think about it, you know, we've done marketing. It's kind of funny because, you know, digital marketing was brand new in 2006, right? I mean, like this stuff was just coming out. I mean, Facebook was brand new and uh, Instagram wasn't even out yet, right? Like all this stuff was brand new. And then, you know, inbound marketing, you know, came out in whatever, 2009 or 2010. And it was like the greatest, you know, marketing strategy that, that anybody had ever had ever seen. And so we've gotten so accustomed to, you know, the ways that we, uh, that we try to go to market that sometimes it can be really scary to move away from some of these things that we've been ingrained with for so long. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is, you know, it, it is challenging and it can be scary. Right. But I, the reality is, is that you gotta, you gotta put your buyer first and do what is best for them. And so I always try to put myself in, in the consumer shoes or my buyer shoes, uh, and think about, you know, what, what that feels like and the experiences that you really remember and benefit from the most. And I'll tell you, filling out a form to get access to an ebook, because I want some statistics that are in that ebook. Um, I'm not interested in, in buying anything from you at that point. And then I get called by the sales rep, uh, following up, asking me to schedule a demo. <laughs> You know, like that's just a terrible experience. I've been there. I think we've all been there. Like nobody, nobody wants to go through that. So, uh, and then it's awkward for the salesperson as well. And I know there's ways to do it better than others, but um, just think about it from that perspective, you know, reduce the friction, make it easy for them. Let the content do the work uh, is clearly the, the way forward. Um, so with that, we got some nice. great topics coming up. Next week, we kind of did a little bit of a dive into some of them today, but we're going to talk more about why lead generation isn't demand generation. Uh, so we're going to take a deep dive into that. Um, we're going to look at the right way to increase sales pipeline velocity. Uh, so that, that should be uh, really fun. And then SEO, we're going to talk about mm -hmm. SEO. A lot of people say SEO is dead, but SEO isn't dead. It's just changed. It's always changing. Everything is changing, but we're going to talk about SEO and how to make SEO work for your business in uh, today's, you know, ever-changing marketing environment here in 2022. So look forward to having you all on the show, uh, you know, next week. Um, and I thank you all for, for being here tonight. And, uh, and for those of you that are listening on the podcast, thanks for uh, tuning in. Uh, can't wait to catch you on the next one. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of the Inbound Growth Podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed the show and got some valuable ideas and tips to help you grow your business and deliver a remarkable experience to your customers. It would mean the world to me if you would provide us with a review of the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you in advance. I'm so grateful for your support.